Welcome to Confabulation, the podcast. I'm Matt Goldberg, and these are stories, true as we can tell them. In the Welcome to another Confabulation podcast. I'm Deb Van Slett. And I'm not Matt Goldberg. I'm Stephen Trepanier. Stephen is a producer of the podcast, Behind the Scenes, and uh, here you are. You're, you're on the show. You're in front of the mic. How are you doing? Um, it's, uh, it's funny to be back in front of uh, this particular mic. I did this um, <laughs> show years ago called Joketown Radio, and... You know, it's it's funny to be back in that headspace in a very different context. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it's it's interesting when you do something uh, from just this very narrow perspective of like the post-production part of it where I'm not being interviewed at all. Um, I get very comfortable with just cutting up the audio and not really thinking about all the other stuff that goes into the making of the, you know, the podcast and the process. And um you know, I'm I'm on the phone often with you and with uh, a guest on um, on Sunday morning or Saturday morning when we've got when we've got somebody on the line and we're um, you know about to about to sort of hit the last little leg of the you know the podcast that we're doing. It feels a little bit like that, but it also feels um, you know like I'm back in the old seat in the other in the other podcast a bit to a certain extent too. Yeah, and you're also a storyteller, and today we're going to feature one of your stories. From some time ago, 2013, Second Chances. I don't even know where it was recorded. Probably the Mainline Theater. It was absolutely the Mainline Theater, yeah. And it would have been Paula Flalo recording. He used to do all this kind of stuff before I did. Right. You know, one of the things in in this COVID world is that the production of this podcast changed. That really changed the way that we we worked together to to get this podcast yeah, what did you learn about that? What what new things have you done since we've been at home producing the podcast? I mean, we used to kind of get you you and Matt would go into a studio and you guys would do, you know, three or four episodes at a time and there was a different workflow that we had uh before the before the pandemic. And I think in some ways this actually works a little bit better where we're sort of um a more mobile and responsive crew in that we don't have that fixed location. And we're all kind of doing this from our home studios and things like that, which gives us a bit more flexibility to kind of, oh, you know, dial stuff in right. And we've been able to, I think, also just kind of respond to some of the um, some of the some of the you know nuances of the situation in our work because of that, because we haven't been putting stuff into you know, the canon sort of like, okay, we've got these three, four stories and these three or four intros and things like that. They're all ready to go and then assembling it all later on. But rather we've, you know, we've been kind of as a team a little bit more kind of going through and finding out what, you know, what would be a good, you know, person's story to to listen to right now kind of thing. Do you feel that too? Yeah, I do. And I think that has been a bit of a revelation actually is how much we can do with some equipment that we have at home. And it does bring us together as a team in a different way as well, because it had been uh, Matt and I going to another studio, but then it didn't, it didn't involve you as much. 
I was happy. I was happy to jump into some of this stuff because it's been, uh, well, yeah, I've been, I've been laid off from my main job. It's a bit isolating when you're just by yourself with, uh, with the pandemic going on, obviously. Right. So it's, it's great to know that there's sort of a little routine that's still running all the time with the the podcast and how, how we'll, how we'll approach it. Yeah, that's it. And I guess we'll see, you know, post pandemic, how we continue to do it, because uh, as we're we're saying, we kind of like the way we're doing it right now. Yeah, I I think it's working well. Let's introduce your story. And then afterwards, we'll come back and talk about it a little bit more. We'll kind of do that, that interview section. Um, So the story is from January 2013, recorded at the Mainline Theater, and the theme was Second Chances. Matt Goldberg. Thank you, Matt. Um, all right, well, this is a story of, uh, of two journeys, one very short journey and one rather long journey. Um, in the summer of 2004, I graduated from high school, and I was 19 years old, and I was fed up with being educated. And I was like, you know, I had the same kind of offer that Matt's parents had given him, you know, we'll pay for school and everything. And I was like, fantastic, but I don't want it right now. Wait till later. I'm going to go on an exchange program. Now, I am uh, raised in a Mennonite church, and so there was an exchange program specifically for young Mennonites to go from Canada to Europe, where Mennonites came from many, many years ago. So I you know, had a choice of three Mennonite countries that I could go to. It's Germany, Switzerland, and the Netherlands. And knowing what I knew at the time, when I was 19, about international drug laws, (laughs) I said, Amsterdam is for me. Netherlands, the Netherlands, baby, that's where I want to be. I thought it was just going to be opium dens and coffee shops and transgendered prostitutes and water taxis, (laughs) just all around. Everything was going to be just fantastic, which is only partially true of the Netherlands. So I got all the paperwork done for this and uh, finished my, my, my year of school. And uh, being the you know, young guy that I was in 2004, I thought, you know, in, instead of going to the combined prom and graduation ceremony that our school was going to have, why don't I you know, go and follow fish around the country? Because it's their last tour ever. <laughs> it's going to be the last one. So you got to go now, or never again. Thanks, Fish. <laughs> so I, I went and I did this instead of, instead of doing the prom or the graduation stuff. And, and upon returning, um, I was just filled with this fantastic joy about the, the year that I was going to have. I was all set to take off in about three weeks to, to Holland. And, Man, everything was just fantastic. It had been a a wild ride of glow stick wars, fireworks, and brownies, all kinds of wonderful things (laughs) at the fish concerts. So I was all pumped. And my friend Ian that night called me up and said, hey, man, there's a new Michael Moore movie that we should go check out called Fahrenheit 9-11. Now, I lived at the time in the deep south of Canada, Kingsville, Ontario, which is as deep south as you can go. It's the southernmost township there is. That's it. And the closest town with a movie theater was Windsor, which is about a half an hour away. 
And I was like, you know what? I can get my mom's car. We'll drive up there. Maybe we get a few more friends together, and we'll, we'll head up and uh, go see it. So I was playing at the Devonshire Mall. We headed off to the mall and watched the movie, and it sucked. It was a terrible film. Depressing. I was all happy from the, you know, the fish concerts, and I was going to go to Europe. It was going to be great. But it sucked. It was terrible. So leaving the theater, we kind of walked out into this sort of George Romero-esque kind of you know, suburban shopping mall that was just devoid of people. And it was just weird, you know, as all these conspiracy theories about 9-11 were happening over here in the movie theater. And we're, you know, in this creepy mall. And we're like, we got to get out of here. we got to get out of here. So we head out to the parking, parking lot. And we've lost our two other friends at that point. I think they're making out somewhere. And my friend Ian and I are wandering around the parking lot. And we see a shopping cart glistening ever so promisingly underneath the street lamps of this parking lot, which is completely empty. So... I look at it, and I look at Ian, and I just say, hey, man, hop in the cart, go for a ride. And Ian is a really big guy, and he was, he was just finished basic training at that point, so he was in fantastic shape, like just amazing shape. I was about the same kind of schlubbiness that I am now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I hopped in, and he, you know, or I, but he hopped in, and I proceeded to push him. Got it the wrong way around. I, I proceeded to push him out into the, into the parking lot, running pretty fast. And I just sort of let go, and uh, he was like, Woo, this is great, this is awesome, wow! This is fantastic, having a great time. And the shopping cart took off, and, you know, sort of just, just disappeared into the darkness there, and, and then uh, it, it eventually came to a stop. And he was just from, from afar, just, Dude, you gotta try this, this is great! So I, I run over to the shopping cart, and I hop in. And Ian gets behind it, and he starts pushing. And three things occur to me at that moment. One, some very hydrologically-minded engineer has designed this parking lot on a downward slope, <laughs> back towards the shopping mall, which I'm headed towards. Two, the shopping cart doesn't have any kind of brakes on it <laughs> that I can deploy. And three, I don't want to be in the shopping cart anymore. <laughs> I immediately say to Ian, dude, you got to stop. But he is just going at it. Like, he is full-fledged, all the, you know, power that he's got and his big wiry body just running along. And he lets go of the shopping cart, even though I'm just, like, halfway through the sentence of, like, stop. And the shopping cart is off towards basically, like, a, you know, a like nice little concrete abutment about the size of that stage there. And I... In my mind, I start playing back all the episodes of Jackass where Steve-O is in the, the shopping cart and he's like, wow, yeah, and hits the curb and goes flying off and there's a soft piece of grass on the other side. And looking at the curb and thinking, there's nothing soft about that. There is not a, a soft part about that at all. What's going to happen? And I realize, I, okay, you know, there's, there's got to be, you know, I, can I, can I kind of duck into the cart? Maybe it'll flip over and I'll be fine. No, okay, I have to jump out. I gotta, I gotta jump out. So I'm in the shopping cart, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm start standing up, and it's still heading down the, 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 barreling down upon this curb, and I just, I just sort of go for it and jump, and my foot on the back catches the back of the shopping cart, and I land crooked on my leg, and I hear two things as soon as I hit 
the pavement, which is a snap and a pop. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm at that point just in a lot of pain, not, not thinking about breakfast cereal at all, but rather, I, don't, I, I can't believe this is happening. I'm on the, I'm on the pavement, and what, what's, gonna, what's happening here? And Ian's over there freaking out, and obscenities are spilling out of my mouth. And um, my, my friends who had disappeared to make out suddenly re-emerged. Unfortunately, they had a cell phone and, and called the paramedics, who surprisingly enough chastised me about what I had been doing and suggested that the, the mall could sue me for having done something so stupid on their property. <laughs> Anyways, I uh, went off to the hospital and got some fantastic drugs and lots of sympathy from some nurses and a lot of suggestions that I must have been imbibing some kind of crazy substance that evening, which was not the case, unfortunately. <laughs> I think maybe even if I had, I wouldn't have even happened. But there we were in the hospital. And I realized I'm not going to be able to make it to the Netherlands in three weeks. So after some surgery and painkillers and some time, we, uh, my parents and I called the, uh, the agency that was going to send me over there and said, well, I've had an accident. And they said, oh, no, that's no problem. He can come back next year. And in a way, that turned out to be the best thing. Because at that point in my life, at that 19-year-old Stephen, I had no money. I had nothing saved up to go on this journey to the Netherlands. There was a job waiting for me and a plane ticket and you know, a stipend, but not a whole lot to keep me going while I was there. So in a way, that second chance, that them saying, you know, just come back next year, worked perfectly. And it ended up being a lot better. I had time to mature a little bit, and I uh, had time to, uh, to, to earn up a little bit of money so I could travel once I got to the, to the Netherlands. And, um, and I still had a fantastic time there and found out all kinds of great things, but I was a more rounded person for having waited that year and for having had my leg broke and gone later. And that's it. Stephen, how do you feel listening to that story again? Because it does go back seven years. And by all accounts, you're, you know, a young, immature man during that story. Well, I'm, I'm a young, immature man telling that story at the time. Uh, it's funny hearing myself say things a certain way sometimes uh, that, I, that I might not anymore. Yes. But I'm also a young, very young man in that story. I'm 19. And um, that's not a young man in my mind anymore. That's that's a teenager still. You know, it, it's funny how that changes with hitting your 30s, maybe. But, you know, that doesn't that doesn't really register to me as a young man anymore at 19. I see. So you're thinking of yourself as as like more of a you're a kid there. Exactly. Yeah. I'm I'm really just a a, a goofy kid in that in that story. Um and maybe even a little bit as I'm telling it too. <laughs> I it's interesting that that um that time at, at twenty eight too, I was I would have been coming out of a different kind of lockdown. Just a year prior to that I had been in uh, the hospital for um psychological reasons and I had been 
um, in a lockdown that was more um, sort of oppressive and frustrating and darker than this one that we're in right now personally. And we're in a, you know, a tricky time together right now, but going through something like that by yourself and you, you never are completely alone because there was a lot of really wonderful people that, um, you know, helped me out of that situation. Um, it was, you know, telling that and getting up on stage and doing that was a little bit of a part of my healing process because that was something that took, you know, two or three years to really fully get over. And that's about, uh, the year mark outside of, you know, being in the, in the psych ward. Oh, that's, that's really deep. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you know, the, the, the broken leg was, uh, a second, second chance. Absolutely was. Yeah. It's, it's one of those times where I think, um, anytime you break a bone or you have some kind of medical incident or, you know, we get sick and we have these, oh, periods in our life where we're going to have to recover from something. Um, there's, there's a connectedness that I certainly feel about, about those, those two incidences, uh, of, of, you know, ill health and, and needing to heal. Uh, the broken bone took me out of commission for a summer. Um, the, you know, the mental illness that when I had, when I had the real severe episode really kind of took me out of commission for, you know, it took me out of commission for a year. And, um, it, it, um, it helps you grow every time that you kind of have to heal from something like that. And it'll, it'll leave you with lessons in your life that you can then at least hopefully kind of apply to other times where you have to go through a similar kind of process. Yeah. Which brings us to, you know, this moment that we're, that we're living right now as uh, it is, it is mid July and, uh, it's it's we, we're still living a, a COVID pandemic world. Canada, Montreal, where we are right now, Montreal was hit hard, um, yeah. but we're doing okay. People are emerging. Uh, how do you feel? Well, um, if I'm honest, there's a lot of anxiety for me about where we're at right now because it sort of feels like we're um, maybe opening the beach and jaws, like just just jumping in a little bit too soon into the bars and all kinds of activities that we like to think of as really normal parts of life, but that we're not 100% sure about with the, the situation and with the, the new world or the new way that we're going to have to interact with one another in the world, I should say, not really a new world, but it's, it's funny to, you know, sort of emerge from another type of lockdown. Um, it's, you know, it's freeing to be able to go out in the park and have, you know, drinks with a friend and, um, return to return to a bit more social interaction with people like, uh, just one-on-one -on -one and, 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 you know, in, in little groups, I think the biggest sort of thing that I went to was a birthday party and, um, you know, it, it feels good to get out and about again, but there's also some pretty heavy anxiety that comes along with that. Yeah. That's just the reality. That's just the reality of where we are right now and, and for the foreseeable future actually. So it's true. There's, um, 
there's the collective way that we're dealing with it, and then there's the individual way that people are grappling with the collective way that we're dealing with it. So, um, yeah, I think that's just going to be an ongoing uh, struggle for for all of us in, in, in various ways. Yeah. And we'll get there, you know, we'll get, we'll get through those anxious feelings or, and we'll get through, you know, maybe other bouts of bits of illness that come up or pop up as we, as we keep working through this, but we'll, we'll figure it out. Is there a story, literary, filmic, or anything else, music even, that you have uh, drawn inspiration from and that you'd like, that you'd like to share with others? Um, I think one of the big ones for me in the COVID times, we're dealing with grief a lot. So uh, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri is one of those things that I think just really, really kind of hits home for me um, as somebody who, you know, uh, is is grieving a parent, grieving a bit our our way of dealing with the world and dealing with other people. Um, there's, there's such a powerful meditation there about... Um, how how we do that with one another um and and um and the interconnectedness of 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 you know a, a small town and to a larger extent you know a, a community really great actors mm-hmm. in that too clark peters is in there you've got francis mcdormand and uh you know yeah woody harrelson and and just just a really amazing cast of people uh, in there, but it's funny that I reach for something that's sort of, sort of highfalutin a little bit. But the stuff that really kind of gets me is you know old cartoons like um, the Avatar series with Brian Konietzko's, um really great stuff with uh, with Aang and and you know stuff that I would have watched you know back when I was a kid or you know stuff like that will will be very comforting sometimes too. Yeah, it's yeah, funny yeah. what you when you when we're talking about media so frequently we're talking about. Um, a lot of stuff that kind of goes into this darker sort of a, a side of what, you know, a, a change in civilization might look like. I, I mentioned George Romero in the in the story, right? Like, you know, we could look back at Walking Dead and stuff like this or um, Armageddon or all, all these all these movies that have been supposedly preparing us for some kind of major shift in society. Right. But we yeah. we didn't really kind of get it right we were always sort of thinking about you know at least in major motion pictures and tv about how we could you know how it's going to be violent and how it's going to be about individualism and instead it's really one of these things where it's all about okay how can we be better collective how can we be a better community um and how can we look out for one another better so you're ultimately inspired by the fact that there is that possibility that um that maybe the um the fact that we are operating more as a as a collective mm-hmm. is 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 heartening um depends on what you read obviously yeah you know there's also a, the politicization of the mask is um is, is pretty uh, <laughs> intense and depressing it is but maybe we give it too much airtime you know maybe that's just uh, it's just so emblematic of a kind of individualism there are those who think it's just like a slippery slope to the end of life and liberty as we know it a friend of mine actually does some of the uh, the covid testing so she's out on the buses on a regular basis the way that she talks about it is kind of the way that i would have used to have talked about uh theater festivals or music festivals and stuff that i would have been involved in the production of and it's really wonderful to know that there's this really awesome crew of people out there working the problem and trying to fix this kind of stuff. Beautiful. 
Yep. That's that's let's leave it there because that's a that's a nice that's a nice place to it's a nice place to end the conversation. Sure. Listen, Deb, thanks very much for spending some time with me today. It's been great to be on the podcast, too. And um, looking forward to talking to you again real soon. Yeah, and I mean, I guess, you know, we'll be, I'll be sending you the files and uh, we'll be editing this, exactly. we'll be editing ourselves together because that's, yeah. that's what you and me do. Okay, well, thanks so much, Stephen. Thanks so much for listening to Confabulation. We're a nonprofit dedicated to the art of true life storytelling. We run monthly autobiographical storytelling shows in Montreal and Victoria. You can learn more about the show and sign up for our mailing list at confabulation.ca or check us out on social media where we're at Confab Stories. Confabulation, the podcast, is produced by our team, Dev Van Slet, Stephen Trepanier, and me, Matt Goldberg. Special thanks to the Conseil des Arts de Montréal for their support of Confabulation. We couldn't do it without you.